Hey guys, um, sorry it's been a little bit. Uh, last time we talked, we were talking, I think it was for the gallows, and I kind of just disappeared, and I'm kind of sorry. Um, a little behind the scenes, um, we've been really busy here at Building 12, and being here at, in college kind of gave me some distractions, but I also just uh, felt kind of, I don't know, just I'd not not in a good place. Mentally, I'm okay, but I was just unmotivated. And yeah, just definitely tired. And then I then I got sick, so kind of I sound a little different, or just kind of start sniffling or anything. Just kind of getting on the edge, on the end of being sick. But I promise, I didn't leave you guys. I'm not your dad. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <coughs> You're not my dad. Yeah, but while I was go- while I was away, I've been um, watching a lot of Netflix, and um, I've been actually been recently motivated but watching a lot of um Netflix about like Mike Flanagan and his stuff. So welcome to Survive the Haunt. My name's Austin and with me today is Nicole. Hi and guys. We're <laughs> gonna change some things up because I don't always just want to be doing like horror movie reviews where we just talk through. I just want to talk about the jo- the genre in, in whole and do some like conversations about directors and just other things that scare us or just things that we like. So Thank you. So today we're going to be talking about Mike Flanagan. Um, he is probably my fami- favorite director of all time. Uh, he's famous for works such as The Haunting of Hill House, Haunting of Bly Manor. He did the movie Oculus. And I really enjoy how he does his character work. He's, for the first time in a long time, showed me that you can make a horror movie that lasts like 10 hours or however long you need to do it, and you can actually tell a good story. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be about, like, horror. In his movies, which always happen to be horror movies, he's able to, like, talk about family grief, just trauma in general, and actually like that because he's able to make something in one scene that'll make you cry and then have that seriously be ended by a jump scare. Mm-hmm. And it's it's actually really interesting to me, and I really enjoy it. Yeah, I haven't, uh, I just recently got into more horror stuff, like, in the last year. Well, congratulations. Or so. Welcome. (laughs) So, like, some of these I actually haven't, most of them I haven't seen. I've heard of him before, but I've never, like, dived in, you know, looked at the information about him and stuff. But, like, I've heard that a lot of these movies were pretty good. Actually, I think I've seen Oculus. That one was, was. I I liked Oculus. Yeah. Uh, Oculus is the, what I always remembered is like the mirror movie, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about that after a little bit. It's, I thought it was good. It was a project or a product of its time in like 2016 or whenever it came out. Yeah. Well, I think, oh, it says 2013. 2013. But wow. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's been a while, but so far his, I'm going to say probably his biggest things, the haunting at Hill House, right? Yeah. I've heard lots of good reviews. Yeah, I haven't then myself with that, watched he, it. Which I, I recommend anybody who hasn't seen it, you should watch it. You can watch it on Netflix. Uh, with that, he's been able to make a spinoff show called Haunting of Blind Manor, which is kind of a lot. This is For the most part, it's a lot of the same cast. Mm-hmm. So like how American Horror Story does their stuff of each season is a different thing. I think he's going to make another haunting of such and such. Oh, yeah. I mean, it just had such good reviews. Yeah. And, and then, like, The Haunting of Hill House was based on a book of the same name. I don't remember who it was oh. by, but he he's really good at adapting stuff, and we'll talk about that after a little bit, too. 
Okay, so to get started, uh, Mike Flanagan was born in Salem, Massachusetts. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> he only lived there for a little bit, though, but uh, he only lived there like five months or whatever. But, uh, uh, he, he definitely uses that as his home of where he says he's from and just kind of like borderline in, like gets him in the mood for horror, just kind of made it feel like that was his born to do. So uh, Mike Flanagan's very famous for his uh, generational trauma and familiar trauma type shows, which is like Oculus is a good example where it's able to play with time, but also like show trauma that can happen inside of family and how families affected by spirits and ghosts and just the breakdowns of families and other things. Uh, Hill House is all about a family dealing with the fact that they lived in a haunted house that killed their mom mm-hmm. and like 20 years later killed the killed the sister by suicide yep. and just kind of dealing with that. And don't they all go and live there? They all did live there, but Oh, they don't but anymore. But they all of them have trauma from it, like um That's what I I've, I've seen bits and pieces of it. I know that one of them is a mortician, right? Yeah. The sister and she actually uh goes through her Daughter, daughter, her sister's body. I think. Yeah, yeah. When her, the their sister, their sister dies by suicide. By like, it's all about depression, and um, it plays a lot with um, their mom died by suicide in the house. That and we learn that it's brought on by a ghost, but it's they talk a lot about uh, is this a ghost or is this just like family trauma, family hereditary, mm-hmm. insane, in like insanity or just past depression. Yeah, that's why I didn't, I don't, I don't know, I, at that time when it did come out, though, like, I wasn't, like, into that kind of stuff, or, it freaked me out, yeah. but, like, now <laughs> I think it just, it's, uh, I'm, I'm curious about it, like, I've always, like, liked the thought of the paranormal, but it's always terrified me, especially growing up in my religious views, you mm-hmm. know, like, and so, but now, I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool, like, I know, oh, I'm, praying nothing bad happens to me but i'm like i can listen to this stuff and watch it without freaking out yeah, without and getting fear. paranoid all the time and it's nice the one thing though about mike flanagan films that they don't necessarily scare me or at all or anything but um i think they do something to me more mentally than like a regular cookie cutter scary movie because with those those types of movies i'm looking for the big jump scare by the monster or just yeah. like things that are unrealistic not saying that his stuff isn't unrealistic but he takes basic premises just as we lived in a haunted house and then shows the outcome of the youngest kid luke is a is an addict because he was haunted by a ghost when he was a kid and he's addicted to black tar heroin everything and they show that 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 is because of this that happened to him as a kid and their mom dying that put him on a path here and that really got me and kind of scares me more than basically anything else yeah, it's very mental and emotional, like, and we've all experienced such trauma before ourselves, so it scares us more with how it matches our reality. Yeah. Something that Mike Flanagan talks about, which is, I think is super funny, that kind of got him started on horror and realized that, like, stuff that would scare him was um, when he was a little kid. Have you ever heard of a show called Fraggle Rock? It was... Mm, I It sounds familiar, but... You can Google it. But um, it's like a M- Muppet cartoon type thing where they like go through, like the Muppet Show. Um, yes. 
Yeah. But I don't think I watched it yeah. very much. I didn't watch it a lot because it was, it was too old for me. Oh, but 1983. Yeah, yeah, I knew what it was just kind of by seeing bits and pieces of it. Mm-hmm. But there's an episode of Fraggle Rock. I don't remember what it was called. It's something like um, The Tunnel, which the it scared him as a kid because he would the character would go into the tunnel and he meets these ghosts in there. Mm-hmm. And he was like, people forgot that who we exi- that we existed and we died. Like this isn't a kid's show and it um in multiple interviews he'll talk about like how that scared the shit out of him and I think it's super funny how <laughs> how a a little kid and a kid's show can create some can like impact somebody to then go on and later make horror movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Cuz he talked about how he was always the type of kid who was very like scared and very was scared of everything. I was a big Freddy cat, but he talked about same. Yeah, I was <laughs> like that as a kid, where I was like things really scared me, and I'd have nightmares. But at some point, just like he did, I got to the point where I was like, "Well, let's do this. Let's be brave." Mm-hmm. And then from that became a fascination because what used to scare me doesn't anymore. And while I was around horror movies, because our mom was always like, "We're watching what I want to watch." Yeah, we will rent a kids show, and a horror movie. And horror movie first, then the kitty after. The kids show after. <laughs> That's what I always told. My parents never had horror movies. We, I mean, we had thrillers, but we, my parents weren't into horror movies, so I didn't grow up around them. So when my friends were like, "Let's watch horror movies," I was like, "No, we need to watch a little kid movie after." <laughs> yeah, yeah. My mom was always fascinated with it, and she kind of just mutually watching everything. She's still fascinated with it. Of watches a lot of horror movies. Loves like. A haunting that ghost show that talked about like haunted house. And I stuff. love that show. Yeah, we watched that a whole bunch. Ghost hunters, ghost adventures. Yes, we watched all those growing up. Just now you're making me want to go watch that. I know <laughs> it's a good binge worthy stuff. Uh huh. Hulu, here I come. Hulu, <laughs> here I come. Okay, so he took the idea of of the whole going into a tunnel and like dying and disappearing, and ironically. He his very first movie that he made that like made it big was called Absentia, <laughs> and it was basically the same premise of um, this woman who I don't I remember everything I've seen it before just because I know that everyone a lot of people are like oh watch this movie so I've seen it but like this girl's dealing with the death I think it was a suicide you said Absentia yeah okay yeah I see and there is a there's like this tunnel underneath her house that every time she goes under there's ghosts and spirits in it. Which is it's spooky, and it, how they made it was actually really cool. They um they crowdfunded it, where he, Mike Flanagan before he made Absentia worked on like, um, Untold Stories of the ER. Oh, okay. Um, reality TV as an editor, he would edit the film. He's like lead editor for, um, Untold Stories of the ER and other things. Wow. Yeah, and so he was in Hollywood, but he wasn't very happy with it. Kind of we could understand that if, you make it, you're making movies and stuff, but you're not hands-on or anything, you're doing the grunt work, and you're, that stuff can really burn you out. So um, he had a, his wife at the time, I think it was his wife or the girlfriend, um, he was about to become a dad, and he decided that I need to make one movie before I, before I might have to like quit that dream and get a job that'll pay. So he crowdfunded with his friends just to scrape a, scrape a budget, mm-hmm. and they made Absentia with no lighting, the, all the stuff they owned, no budget, and all of the friends. 
and it actually premiered at South by Southwest and won won awards and act and it was bought and he that really made him make it. Mm-hmm. But he took that fame and he had made other short films. One was called uh, Oculus Chapter Three: The Man with a Plan. And um, he sold the rights to the Oculus premise to Blumhouse, and they made from there his first like Hollywood movie that really made him like big bucks. Hollywood, you've made it. He was able to make Oculus. So, Oculus really shows to me his ability as an editor and like a filmmaker of understanding how you have to shoot things in the perspective of the editor, mm-hmm. of like how to make the job easier or you how you know how you want it all to go in a timeline and how you need to make things around that. So in Oculus, I'm, I've seen it. I think you've probably seen it if you think back. Um, it's been a while, but, yeah, I've seen Oculus. Yeah, it takes – the ending's, like, fucking twists. And yeah, it's a, it's a narcissistic ending where don't really win. kind of sucks, but – Yeah. Um, but it plays with two timelines of – which I really like, is they'll show, like, so it starts out with the family. They get this mirror, and it turns out the mirror's haunted. Yeah. So it affects the parents and the kids. affects all of them. But it plays with the time of how things happened in a weird way that I actually really enjoyed. Because you'll have scenes where they're, the two adult, the kids who grow up into adults, are trying to record the mirror to prove that it is haunted so they can clear their father's name for the murder of their mother. But um, there was cool scenes where, like, Karen Gillian would walk down the hallway and turn a corner, and then young Karen Gillian would run by, and now we're 15 years in the past. Yeah. It would do stuff like that, and it would make it feel like it was seamless, playing with time, and it was really, really good. He'll end up taking that type of stuff into his later work, just like in Haunting Hill House, which I think was – the Hill House was – everything right that he wanted to do that and he learned from the mistakes of his other stuff mm-hmm. so well, he even did the one with the kid where he like when he dreams oh they yeah come alive. Uh, before i wake yeah it was like this like he would lucid dream and astral project and makes cool. like a monster um my favorite thing he did though outside of like my favorite movie that he's done besides dr sleep which is kind of stepping going a little too fast but is uh he made the what I think w- was the better of which, but he made the sequel to the uh, the movie Ouija, and he made Ouija yeah. Origin Evil, which took which was a prequel, and it was good. Like that, I think that was the first movie I saw of his, besides Oculus, that I actually was like, hmm, let me see who this director is. To where it was because of that that I was happy to see that he was making like stuff for Netflix and other things. So he made he has some deals with Netflix. Um, after after Oculus came out, uh, J- he sold the rights to Oculus to Blumhouse, which we've talked about before, and they make a bunch of shit. Yep. Well, let's talk about it. He was given the rights to Gerald's Game, which is a Stephen King novel about this um this woman and her husband. They go on vacation, right? Yeah, a woman and like her husband go on vacation or something. That they have a uh, the husband wants to have sex by like handcuffing her to the bed. Yeah, they're trying to get freaky. Trying to get freaky, and he dies. He has a heart attack and dies. And the and keys. she is like she's stuck on the bed. It plays with her mind. Um, like she goes crazy, dehydrated, starving, 
sees ghosts, gets attacked by wild animals, does this whole trip, which for a long time, people said that Gerald's Game was probably the one thing that could never be turned into a movie. And Mike Flanagan wrote a draft of it that Stephen King loved. <laughs> yeah. I, I heard really good reviews on that. I like it. It, it was little... So his thing with you movies... can't go wrong with Carla. Too. Yeah, yeah. She's an awesome actor. Yeah, Spy Kids mom. Yes, yeah. yes. I was just like... Cortez, Jeannie uh, Cortez or whatever her name is. Yeah, the mom and... She she is the she plays the mom in uh The Haunting of Hill House. Um and she's really good in it. She's works her ass off throughout for him. He's she's such a good actress. Yeah. And he's such a good director. He can make good 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 work. So um we can talk a little bit more about Haunting Hill House. Um he's famous for his actors of if you work if you do a movie with him, odds are you're going to do every movie with him. He's just Good director. Because he knows who, who will do good, mm-hmm. you know, who he can rely on. He brought to me, because I don't, I don't know his full filmography, but he brought a uh, dude named Henry Thomas, who you might know as uh, Elliot in E.T., the little kid in E.T. His okay. name is Henry Thomas. Yeah. Um, he brought him back to what I would say back into fame, and he's worked with him since, um, I think it was from, from Gerald's Gamer sometime. Okay, Henry Thomas. Yeah, he's okay. been... He's been with him for a long time. Uh, they, he recently did Midnight Mass, which wa- during my hiatus yeah, from hiatus from the podcast, I've watched. I sat, I binged watched all the haunting of both Bly Manor and Hill House. Midnight Mass. <laughs> I watched Oculus. I think I watched every single thing that he made, just because it was something I was feeling. I was just kind of feeling not depressed, but just unmotivated. I was having second thoughts about just school was getting stressful. Yeah. So I was like. Just decided to watch something. My mom told me I needed to watch Midnight Mass because I hadn't watched it yet. And I turned it on one night, and I finished it that following morning. And I don't think I slept, and that is not a bad thing because <laughs> it was really, really good. Uh, Is he one of the siblings in Haunting of Hill House? Thomas? Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas. He plays their, their um, dad. Back in the day. Oh, I guess he is older. <coughs> I, did, I, I don't know why. I just assumed he was like... They all are older, though, mm-hmm. so I was like, okay. One of the best, I think one of the best scenes of, like, film, in current day film, that makes him the Mike Flanagan, the king of horror, mm-hmm. is probably Hunting Hill House, episode five. That, that move, that episode, I think that, I think it's episode five, that um, they have to go to a funeral, go to the funeral of the, the daughter, mm-hmm. and that, there's a 40... Something I think it, no I think it's like thirty minute unbroken, unbroken like set or take that travels in time from s- scene starts with them very long dialogue scene, which he is phenomenal at. Um, they're at the wake of the daughter. They're arguing. Shit happens. They go back into time to where they're at Hill House. They go back into the. Regular time, they just play with times for so long, and what I saw is that that was all one take, and Oof. it is really really good. But also in that that scene that I really liked, um, so the dad, there's basically every character in Hill House is played by two people, there's a younger version and an older person and mm-hmm. an older version. In that episode, they the father comes to go visit his kids after during like the wake because he hadn't seen all the kids in a long time. Because he's estranged, 
because he's trying to protect the kids from the haunted house, and he believes the way to do that is not to be around them. So they, they have some resentment for him. They do a good job talking about it. But the uh, the camera comes in with the dad. They're talking, and the camera turns in a 360 motion, and we see all of his kids as adults leaning up against the wall, just sitting, and they're all like, he's like talking to them. And the camera goes like in 360, and by the time it gets back around to him, it's the little kids. So That's like, a cool scene. Yeah, so he's, he's like, he's seeing, like when he first walks up to see his kids, he's seeing them like the last time he saw them, mm-hmm. which was them as little kids. And even to where like he'll go up to go visit the casket to see his daughter, and it's Nell as a little girl. And it breaks his heart. Because, of course, it's like a dad seeing his little kids. But then, like, the camera turns back around and it's the adults again. And it's, like, that one take, I could just imagine how they would do that if they were probably, like, they would rotate the camera, everyone would run in, and then they'd run away. And then, like, when the camera's to the back of them, they'd replace the sets and things. Was anyone, like, talking during this? Yeah, it was just a dialogue where they're, like, talking or it's, like, following, the camera's following the dad and the son walking up to the casket. And he sees that it's the daughter. And then I'm sure, like, while that's happening, everyone's, like, changing but like there's or just moving into yeah. a place. Every, they built that whole set for that show. And the set was actually really cool. There's a tour you can find on it on YouTube where it's like they walk you through the whole house which is built in this huge this huge building that you walk in and it's ev- it's basically every single location in the movie except for like there's one place that's outside that they use the house for. But um like you walk in and it's the grand staircase. But if you take a left, you're in, like, the um, the funeral home of the daughter. And then later, I watched that whole video. It's, like, an hour and a half long. It's really, really cool how they built the set and everything. So another thing that Mike Flanagan recently did that actually cemented himself as the, what I saw, like, the king of horror, is that um, he worked with Stephen King to adapt Dr. Sleep. Which Doctor Sleep is a, uh, it's the sequel to The Shining, specifically to like the Stanley Kubrick movie, and his book, and I really enjoy this movie. My brother and I went and watched this movie when it came out. Uh, we were gonna go see Jojo Rabbit, I think, <laughs> and they were all sold out, so we went and saw that, and we both walked away enjoying that we saw that instead. I have a there's a really cool story about like how he wrote that. Uh, he made. He wrote, directed, and published the movie all before meeting in person with Stephen King. So the very first time he met Stephen King was, here's the movie, I hope you like it. Which I couldn't imagine doing. Mm-mm. Besides email talking to him, that'd be crazy. Oof. Here you go. Poof. Yeah. Sweating. <laughs> you know what? I could do it. Let's uh, go. Let's go. <laughs> I think if I, if I was had to adapt a movie like that, even though it was by Stephen King, I think if you just try hard enough if, and yeah. had the kahunas to do it, I think anyone can really do it. And honestly, even if he was an asshole about it and he said he didn't like it, you know, at least I'd know maybe what I needed to do to fix it, you know, to make it – or, like, just, like, some pointers since this guy's obviously – Yeah, if you're – when you're Stephen King, you know <laughs> – you, it's definitely constructive criticism when, whenever somebody – or you get told by Stephen King anything – 
that's what I try to take from this industry, honestly, is like destructive. Or yeah, even if they're complete assholes, I'm like, okay, you know. Well, yeah, yeah, except for like the complete douchebag, douchebag people in the industry. There yes. Are, there, yeah. there are a lot of people that it's like, yeah, you make you're the reason you do make a lot of money because you know your shit. So. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I learned about the industry too, is just working your ass off and then also taking being able to take criticism, not crying in the, the hallway. Film sets are stressful in a small people even, sense. Yeah, I can't imagine having hundreds. Now I know why, you know, you got the director, but then the director's like You have all oh. the PAs, production assistants that are That's like, what I'm saying. Like he probably talks to them. It's like a pyramid. You know, yeah. I feel like, you know, you got the director and then you got all of the producers and then like, and it just kind of, th- they're in charge of these people and then they're in charge of this. That's why I would like to just, I'd like to be a producer. I think, yeah, I think for sure, because I want to make movies and everything, but I definitely want to work on a set multiple times. And I'm talking like a real huge set is like film is to me, like it's the largest transformative media there is of, you have so many people working for stuff that yeah, you're making a movie, but everything back to you have people building the sets, people making the food. You have chauffeur drivers to drive people to the set. They create the costumes. Yeah, it's such a large group of people working together that I, for a long time, always kind of knew about because Hollywood's a big place, but working in it and actually making films and stuff, you really see how many people there are. And being a director, you're in charge of all that. That's you, like, a lot of pressure, and I could see why certain directors can become huge, like you said, douchebags. Because, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine having all that stress. Even when I do a small short here, it's like... Yeah, even for like a little bit behind the curtain a couple of weeks ago when we were working on like the SWAT training videos and stuff. Yeah. Of, it was just four of us, and there was a lot of stress even with that. It was fun. And we weren't even like, like filming something we wrote. It was just kind of... Yeah. I know if working on Gabe's uh, movie this past summer, that was that took a long time, and all I had to do was run audio. But man, that that was just a lot of work. And it, it making movies is a lot of work. I know that. Like sometimes I'll explain to my dad what I want to do, and he's like, "Oh, that's kind of okay." I I think a lot of people think that this industry is kind of easy, mm-hmm. or it's like, oh no, yeah, like, you know, like a soft. Like, it's soft, a softer job. You're not really working hard. It's not hard work. No, you are working hard, hard. You're. It's like you're going, if you're, like, working in Hollywood, say we lived here in Kansas, but we were working on a film set in California, is basically the same thing. I'm not saying that we're the same thing because they definitely work their asses more and they're more important than we are. But it's like going, it's like taking a tour or, like, um, being sent out for the military. You're gone for, like, three months. Every single day you have to do something. Mm-hmm. You have three months to do this, and then you come home for two weeks or two months, and then you're you're back at it. If you make movies like that, that is what that is. It's not, like, relaxed and easy where you're, like, soaking up all the money. You're, you're literally just, thinking about it all the time. Yeah. Because it, if something goes wrong, it's your ass, and you're fired. Like. Yeah, there, there's a lot of um, – there's a lot of directors that say that making movies, you don't finish a movie, you abandon it, meaning that you get to the point where like I can't, I can't work on it anymore. Yeah. Where it's like I've done all I can do. I could sit here forever, but it'll never get done. And we know that of making small changes on stuff that we wanted to work on. Yeah. How you can it all it takes is one second, and you're just like, oh, 
fuck, we're I got to add a whole another hour to the. I li- my short Dave. Yeah, thing the that drunk I cre- Dave. Yeah, my, yeah, that was only um almost two minutes long, right? Took me maybe an hour, but like setting up, editing, and then you know filming all was probably at least a good five or six hours, and I. Hated it. And that's six hours. <laughs> that's not even six months to yeah. a year for actual movies. Yeah, and I was watching you, even for like your set, you had to individually print out photos and then make these little, yeah. You know, There's so much crap frames. that goes into it. And that's another thing that makes it more stressful for us, though, is that in Hollywood, each person has their own role. Yeah, you, that delegate, they have to do. you delegate people for the position, which that that's comes with ease. But that's also more trust. Trust that you have to put in people and. Yeah, 100%. So, like, I applaud this guy, Ferguson, because, like, that shit is... Flanagan. Flanagan, my bad. (laughs) Ferguson, I can't read it. I'm sorry. Mike Ferguson. Ferguson. Mr. Ferguson. (laughs) We're just going to say Mike. (laughs) Mike. But, yeah, he has, I don't know, man, lots of patience. Yeah, he's definitely built, uh, and it's kind of, I'll say the word algorithm. Yeah. You, as a filmmaker, you get to the point where you know how, you've done it. Um, he, he talks about a lot like making Oculus for the first time being a Hollywood movie that he knew that this was Hollywood money to where it's like, if I get, if I don't get this done, they break my knees type situation. Yeah. You, if you can get past that stress, you've clearly made this algorithm for yourself of this is how you get it done. I work my ass off doing this. It's every single day you have to build a structure to make you, to make you survive through it. And you have to sometimes be, we hear a lot about in this industry of like um, directors like Joss Whedon, who Joss Whedon got in trouble, which I'm not saying that he's a good guy or I'm defending him at all because some things that came out about him about how he treats his sets, but he's a hostile worker, meaning that he'll like bully his people into submission. Um, The the Shining is a good example of that where um, while they were making it, Shelley Duvall went crazy because he, the director is so badly wanted her to have the reaction of fear and torment and everything that he made sure that no one looked at her on set, that um, she was like neglected or emotionally abused the whole time because he knew that that would then represent good, that would come out good on screen and kind of sucks, but. So I actually. Before I even knew I wanted to get into filming and, like, production and stuff like that, I watched uh, Land of the Lost with, like, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell, yeah. Yeah, dude. I saw that movie in uh, 4D. <laughs> yeah, what? 4D. Oh, my God. I love that movie. It's so it's, funny. He gets is... bit by the mosquito. And it's <laughs> the biggest. Land of <laughs> the Well, basically, I did. That was one of the only movies I've watched behind the scenes up until recently. I've been watching a lot more. But. Uh, Chaka, that little yeah. monkey thing, they treat that guy like shit. shit. Like, it's I watched that, and I was like, why are they being so mean to him? Like, he's doing this behind-the-scenes thing because they need that for the film, and he's being goofy with people, and they're just all, like, saying mean stuff to yeah, him, but it, trying to, like, passive-aggressive. Yeah, or it's like, it, it probably, it's like a method-acting thing where if you keep it keep it live or you're trying to keep that same energy If some like horror directors will make people listen to like some horror directors will make people will make people the whole entire cast and set before they start of 15 minutes of screaming or like you just hear this um 
this creepy tone uh, in the movie uh, Sinister. Uh, there is a sound that plays whenever they play the music, which is just like it sounds like real being played, and it's just this repetitive droning noise. The director would make um, Ethan Hawke and all the other cast members listen to that for ten minutes before they start any type of any set, just to get them in the mind. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good idea. I I would I definitely think that I would do that. To my cast and crew, where I'm like. This is what we're. This is where I need you guys. I don't. I. I could never morally get to the point where I would like have to bully someone into submission to get that type of role. Um, I have. I'm planning a short film that I've. We've talked about it before. You and I mm-hmm. about and just about horror. It's gonna be horror related. But I've decided that how I'm gonna direct it is I want to meet with these people who are going to be my actors and I want to sit down and write it with them because I do want to make a film that my actors care about so then I can make characters some of my characters like my actors care about mm-hmm. instead of being like okay Nicole you are going to play this is a hypothetical hypothetical but it'd be like Nicole I want you to play a 65 in WNBA basketball player <laughs> no I would I would want you to do some I would sit down with you and I would want to talk through and make a character that you could, that you would want to play who you would care about and you would care about the well being. Cause say we were, I had you on a movie and you were, your character was fighting for your life. I would want you as an actor to fight for that character's life and actually care instead of just being like the Tom Cruise method where you walk on the set because you're Tom Cruise, you get paid millions mm-hmm. because you're Tom Cruise. Yeah. Dude, and I bet they charge an arm and a leg to have him on sets. Yeah. Or it's it Clint Eastwood too, right? Isn't he like like Or we I've told you about like my whole the whole thing with Clint Eastwood. It's a uh, he's done so much. He he's created this whole industry. And I have you seen his new movies, like his movies that he's been making recently? No. Like uh Mule's a good movie. It's a really really good movie. But um Back in the day, just westerns in general. Yeah, you'd be able to watch. You can pull any of them up. It's like Clint Eastwood, is the big text. Yep, and then it's Desperado, and it's like, oh, this Clint Eastwood movie is about this, to where it was more going to the movies to see Clint Eastwood, to where you'd walk into the, you go to the theaters and like, let's go see this movie. It's like, what's it called? I don't know. Clint Eastwood's in it. <laughs> That's how Tom Cruise ended up. Yeah. Which that was just Tom Cruise. It was like Ma- Mark Wahlberg, too. Oh, yeah. He's in everything. The well, Rock. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, Kevin Hart. S- Kevin like, Hart, Skyscraper. They all hit their points, though, and then it kind of dwindles. Yeah. Well, it was like Nicolas Cage was for a long time, National yes. Treasure. And he's kind of kind of coasted down. Or Brendan Fraser was Brendan really. Brendan Fraser. We've talked about Brendan Fraser yes. on the pod. On, I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast, but just in general about how sad that is. Uh, I think but everyone... But he is reintegrating, isn't he now? Yes, yes. He's uh, going, coming back, which I'm very glad. Me too. I'm excited. I think everyone in general needs to like send Brendan Fraser a tweet and be like, we appreciate you. We love you, man. We love you. <laughs> I hope you're doing Thanks for okay. being in a third mummy movie or it had been a shit show. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for breaking your back and, make, and getting <laughs> out of Hollywood, oh. being kicked to the curb. Oh. Yeah. This, uh, I, I know that's what happened, but... Yeah. It's so sad. Mm-hmm. Um... On the Nicolas Cage thing, Nicolas Cage has been recently making some horror movies. He was in the one I think you would really enjoy 
It's it's a psychedelic trip. I know Ian. This is an Ian movie. I mean, capital I Ian, capital M movie. It's called Mandy. It's about heavy metal. Oh, it is. It's all. It's just heavy metal. Where um, Nicholas Cage plays his character, who his wife di- is murdered, and it's this drug filled like heavy metal inspired purple movie where he gets a giant axe and he's just going after the people he's who wronged him. Oh wow. It's such a good movie. Yeah. It's so metal. And he's been a, there's <laughs> another one coming out with him called uh, Pig which is very he plays a woodsman, like a woodsy guy and these I people kill his something. pig. It's like John Wick but a pig. <laughs> it's crazy. It's looking Someone good. He kills his pig so he kills them. I think people like that would be so fun to like work with. I I mean, but we, don't, we just, you never know their personality yeah. for sure until you work with them. Yeah, I know that. Back to like even Mike Flanagan, I know that these people who are in his movies love working for him, mm-hmm. love working with him. That's good. Yeah, there's a thing on uh on his Wikipedia page that uh, it'll give everyone he's worked for, and you'll see all of his prod. It's just a spreadsheet. Of all of the projects he's ever made and the people who work for him, for the most part, he's worked with the, all the same people. He's And it's not like where they're contracted. They just love working together. Mm-hmm. Um, he I does good work. Yeah. Uh, Karen Gillian, is that her name? Helen Ellen Gil- Kill- Gillian? I think I said her name earlier. Um, she played Nebula in, uh, in, in the Marvel movies. In the Guardian of the Galaxy. Guardi- Guardians of the Galaxy. She was an Oculus, and it's because of him that she really made it into American movies. Because before that, she was she was an actor before. She was in Doctor Who, which everyone knows Doctor Who is just a big property. But um, her first, like, American film was Oculus. And she will talk on podcasts and interviews about working with him, about how how thankful she is to have worked with him. And how she would love to do it again. And I think that just tells a type of person that Mike Flanagan is. He's He creates these families. He's, like, literally married to one of the act, the actresses, Kate Siegel, who's in oh, yeah. all of that. They're married, and they have kids. And they work together, and they l- love working together. And they'll always work with each other. So you can you can find a lot of his work on Netflix. Yeah. Um, he, he really lives on Netflix with his... Uh, TV shows. If people, if you have not seen Midnight Mass and you have Netflix, I recommend watching it. Watch the first episode and think about it. It is really, really good. It's it's not even like a, it's not a ghost or anything. It's something bigger than that, mm-hmm. and it plays with. It doesn't. It it's it takes place on a small island and is all about just religion and small town values and just small town community in general and it's so, so good it is really really good uh for the future of mike flanagan he's set to he recently bought the rights for some edgar Allan poe like stories so oh, i hope yeah, he makes that, something good with yeah that. that guy i think that if mike flanagan was to get his hands on that i think there will be good there's a lot more to come uh, i've always thought of mike flanagan the type of dude you could DM on Instagram being like, hey, you're really good. You're really cool. And he'll, <laughs> s- he'll send you one back and be like, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> he doesn't seem he doesn't seem cut off like by the Hollywood standard of like I would never even try like emailing or messaging like Elijah Wood or anybody. I feel like actors get more of the publicity yeah, than the directors or anyone who's in the background, which 
that's kind of what I enjoy. Like I en- I enjoy that too, where it's like they could still walk around on the streets and not, you know, have yeah. to always worry about someone going, "Oh my God, you're you who?" I mean, obviously, if you're Steven Spielberg or yeah. Stephen oh, yeah. King, <laughs> Michael Bay. I'm not you even kidding. If I saw Stephen King or even uh, Steven Spielberg on the street, I probably wouldn't even know it was them right off the bat. Oh, I definitely would. Being a being a horror fan, like I know I, what they look like. I though. would 100% be like, "Oh, I that's Stephen King." I'm going to walk over there and be like, I'm glad you got hit by that van. You have changed my life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe if I was in Hollywood or, you know, somewhere I know they were, but if I just randomly saw someone here or they were just walking around, it probably wouldn't. Like Weird Al Yankovic in Wichita. I've seen him multiple times in Wichita. That dude just loves Wichita. Are you serious? Yeah. I love that dude. He's funny as hell. He plays a lot of Wichita, and he really enjoys the city. But, yeah, like that guy, like Mike, could just walk around anywhere in at least outside of Hollywood mm-hmm. and not a whole lot of people would be like, Oh my gosh, that's Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan, yeah. Yeah, you know, like I I wouldn't know. Yeah. Which is terrible. And I really yeah, need to start getting into more of this stuff. And outside of that of just like fame, it's just like being a director in general of I I understand that. Of I see both sides of it of I wish that we directors would get more like notice because mm-hmm. I would hope that I would get more notice of Mike Flanagan's definitely built himself a career in horror and in media, but it's like Blumhouse does this a lot where they make a bunch of movies like the first Ouija movie, um, sinister, all these different types of like just turnkey horror movies that just a grind factory, just pumping yes. them out. And it's like, Oh, horror movie, horror movie. But then you don't, they're like, the directors They're kind of the same thing. Yeah, but then, like, the directors get nothing out of it. Mm-mm. Like, Truth or Dale was, was with Lucy Hale from Pretty Little Liars. And it's like, that drove people to to the to go see the movie. But then it's like the director side of it. That director had to make something for her. It's like the stuff, the people that get forgotten behind making horror movies, or just movies, and specifically horror movies. I feel like that is a media where it's... It, Horror movies make so much money each year because people go and see them. But then at the end of the day, it's just it's so forgotten because it's like if Tom Cruise was in a horror movie, everyone would know what it is. World of the Worlds, that movie. Yeah. Starring Tom Cruise. Whereas you get like, to oh, the, Tom Cruise. Yeah. Or <laughs> uh, it's just it's a forgotten medium where it's just like you get you get shoved underneath the table. Yeah. And, hey, we like what you did. Oh, another one's coming out next month. Forget that movie. Where it's sadly horror movies a lot of time, which I kind of want to do this podcast and keep doing this podcast to keep these things alive and keep older movies that haven't necessarily made the nostalgia of like the it's the Jaws, mm-hmm. the thing, these the Exorcist oh, that, that have just made history that everyone knows. Like oh, Friday the Thirteenth movie, everyone knows it. Like mm-hmm. Jason Voorhees, but like make these movies. That not that don't get a lot of recognition and keep them alive because I think they're important. Mm-hmm. I I love horror because you can you can tell a story and you can do more things, not in a way that it's like people need to be worried. But I like horror movies because you can do whatever you want. Um, I don't I don't like these movies, but rape revenge is a thing where it's you can tell a story about tr- about experiences that will can 
live with someone forever. Just these terrible experiences. But you can use horror as an as a way to make it and make people pay in the end. Mm-hmm. And where you're like, you can easier to me, you can make it easier to live and care about a character. Of like if something happens to somebody, or it's like just like serial killer movies or slasher movies. Yeah. Where it's like um like Hush that he made where his wife played a um a deaf woman and the dude was trying to kill her. It was a lot like The Strangers, even that movie. Yeah. Where like in horror movies you can root you, I think you root for the person more because you're worried you're watching them survive. You're not watching like Hallmark or the cookie cutter love movies where you're like, Oh, I hope they get together. No, you're like, I hope this <laughs> they bitch always doesn't get together in Hallmark, okay? Yeah, like I hope this bitch doesn't die. But it's like you, you never can, know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that happens and sometimes it happens bad. Uh-huh. And I, I, I think I like horror movies the best is because you can tell a compelling story and you can have a real realistic ending. You don't need the hero's ending. It can be a satirical ending where it's like everyone dies. Like hereditary and like no one survives. Yeah, where it's oh, like sorry. <laughs> no, no, oh yeah. Where it's like hereditary, it's not a that's not a good that's not a happy ending. Midsummer for the same thing. That is not a happy ending. I still need to see that. Yeah, it, it ends I with just a smile, but it's not a happy one. I just don't ever want to watch it by one. myself. Yeah, it's just one of those movies. <laughs> I, I, I've always been around horror movies, and I'm, I know, like with my girlfriend, I've been having to recently get her into, get her to watch horror movies. For me, it's like a hot bathtub that I have to put my toe in, you know, and kind of just yeah. ease into I've it. I've just been, I, it's my relaxed time of kind of grounds me of hey, at least I ain't that bad. At least I ain't being haunted. Wow. Down. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> I ain't this bad. I'm yeah. not going through this. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> yep. I just love the genre so much. Mm-hmm. I think there's. And directors l- like this, you know, who yeah, really who know make, how to do it. Who build worlds like Haunting a Hill House that even though I've seen it five times. Isn't I've that a crazy thought? They build worlds. worlds. You, you create worlds. It is. And you're able to take a thought in your mind or something that you, th- you care about and you can make. You can make people see things from a different point of view. Like, um, it wasn't even necessarily about it, but when George A. Romero made um, uh, Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. um, the main character was a black man, and at the end of it, he gets shot by the police. And he's like, "We, I wasn't necessarily making that, but I'm glad that I was able to bring bring attention to police brutality and like just um, these black traumas." And you're not in a way where you're, like, automatically in your brain, like, well, actually, statistically, white people get shot, too. You're able to look at them like, man, I liked that character. Man, why'd he have to die? Yeah. With movies in general, you're able to get these ideas across that that people, for the most part, unless you're hitting it on the nose, which I don't like those movies. But you're able to get people to see a different perspective of things. Um, In Midnight Mass, I'm going to talk a little bit about it. Um, there's a character who's Muslim. Uh, he plays, it's uh, Sheriff Hazan, played by Raul Cooley. Oh, I like him. Yeah, he's very good. He was in iZombie and yes. some other things. iZombie's really yes, good. People need to watch iZombie. I love that show. But uh, in the show, he talks about being a police officer post 9-11. He watched the towers come down, and he was like, this is my country. I want to protect it. Mm-hmm. And there's a cool documentary about it, but he talks about, he rose to the rank of detective and all the way in further up. And he one time made a comment to the to the office being like, no, I don't like this idea or I need to bring down crooked cops. And they demoted him so far because they're like, oh, no, he's a sleeper agent. This is this terrorist 
wanting to become a cop so he knows all the secrets so he can blow up more buildings. Mm. It's just how stupid it is and how sad it is to be uh, be a Muslim post 9-11 in a world that we're so scared of Muslims. Yeah. You're able to talk about that, and they can they can literally tell you that and not, not necessarily force-feed you that, but you're able to see something like that and... I feel like now, though, with our 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 generation, this is the woke culture. We're we we're not like our parents, you know, where they were terrified of like Muslims yeah. and things like that. Like we're more like open minded. Yeah, or it's like our not all of us because we're everyone's built on different views and everything, yeah. and it's like not saying everybody, but like even to like our grandparents' time of segregation era, where it's like how we can laughably look. We were like that is so fucking dumb that people treat each other differently because of the color of their skin. When it's just you're able we're, and that's just the subject of being born later and throughout time, of it still happening now more and more. Um, we've a whole new wave of Me Too movement and other things. We're at a time where we're able to talk about these issues, especially like um, Black Lives Matter is a big one. Mm-hmm. And you're able to make horror movies um, like Candyman, who that is isn't Get Out like Get Out? Something it, like yeah, that? Get Out is the it's the show pony of um, racism in yeah. America, and it's a great movie. And you can, anybody can watch Get Out, no matter what your idea is. But you can see it, and not saying that it's that bad, but in movies you're able to give somebody a situation, and you can make it hyper realistic, where it's like um, racism, and like in Get Out but not how it's realistic of these rich white people literally putting their brains inside black, a black person's brain so they can live the black experience. But you can use that as a metaphor for racism and just talk about how you can call out both sides of racism just doesn't come from the Confederate flag-owned hat, redneck, white trash dudes mm-hmm. who will lynch somebody. It comes from the people who are like a white-collar, um, liberal of nature, democratic side people where it's like racism comes from both sides. You're able to talk about that instead of it's being represented solely by the like uh, extremists like in mm-hmm. the Purge movies, which I enjoy. I just enjoy watching a lot of people die. I don't mean that. <laughs> I don't mean that in a way to like make Obviously, you wouldn't want to see that in real life. Yeah, which that's, that's why. That's another it's, thing, though. It's that like you're able to see things. That you would you never get you to experience. You don't want to experience. Where it's like war movies of yeah. going to see like Lone Survivor of I'm glad I'm able to see that, but I would never, I'm glad that I never have to be there. Exactly. Where it's like just stuff like that you're well, able to see. You read all the stuff in history and then it gets brought to life yeah. on film or just stories, you know. So it's like, holy shit, these, this is what I would have went through if I had to do this stuff or, you know, mm-hmm. if. If I was in this world, you know, it, it's crazy. That's the best. I think that's the reason why, when it comes down to it, why I wanted to be a filmmaker. Because I can. I can make comments about things, and I can tell a story that has these ideas in it in a and make it in a way that people will like it and watch it. Mm-hmm. I can take my dream, my vision, and produce it and have someone else be like, that was good. I, I got joy out of something that you made. I, I think I think that's the number one reason why I want to do it. It's not money. 
Yeah. It's true. It's truly not money. If it was, I wouldn't be sitting here making a podcast. I wouldn't co- make any money or anything. It's you. I just want to be able to tell a story. I want to mm-hmm. have a voice. I yeah, I get you. Yeah. Um. Thank you. Every thanks everybody for listening. Um. I did want to change things up. Like I said, I don't want it to always be about horror movies and just like talking about a movie that we watch. I want to have these discussions because I think we can. We can learn a lot and just talk a lot about things through a discussion instead of just talking about, like, the gallows or malignant. And I like this, too, because it also gives me a chance to watch some movies from, you know, like, after learning about the director, now Mm -hmm. I can watch these shows and be like, okay, now I know, like, why he did certain things, Mm -hmm. you know, I'll feel a bit differently about them. It's important to understand where people are coming from with making movies, and I think I'm glad that we're going to... Splashing a little bit of these um, here and there. Uh, just kind of take a break from watching the movie because I don't want to be in the same same thing. I know one of the times, and I would love to have you back on it, is I want to just talk with everybody and make, like, our ki- our monster where we're just going to talk about, like, if I had to picture a horror movie monster, it would be, like, a big bat with <laughs> razor claws, <laughs> and we're just going to talk about that. I think that would be a fun, fun little episode. Kind of give us a little break from... Have fun, laugh, instead of, like, I would really study up for, like, sometimes this feels like it can be a test where I'm like, I hope you guys are paying attention to the movie you're watching because we're about to talk about it. Rather just kind of give you guys something, like, talk at you guys mm-hmm. so you can just listen and get a perspective or we can just in- engage in conversation that way. Yeah. So I, I think... W- that's what we have to look forward to on this podcast is just different besides our regular movies, which I think next week we will do a movie because I enjoy watching them. Yeah. But I think I would like to do a back and forth of just we'll watch a movie, talk about it, and then we'll have a discussion about something. Mm-hmm. I think that's the best thing we can do. That'd um, be great. Thank you, for everyone, for listening. You can, uh, wherever you listen to this on, I would enjoy it if you gave a five-star review and a comment. <laughs> Maybe tell a friend about it. And I know it's just... I know it's kind of shitty, but come on, tell a friend. We enjoy it. We, we enjoy. love talking. And the more the more exposure it gets, the better it can be, and I think it'll help me out, make me feel like oh. this isn't really like for nothing. Yeah, and we're also learning as well. So mm-hmm. if there's things that you suggest that you know would help and yeah, make it better in your eyes, we can incorporate that. Because I do check the analytics on this. I actually do take the time. I don't just post it and walk away. I, I do see that we have a we do have a pretty much fifty fifty split. It's not a whole lot of people. It's like thirty people total. Hey, but it's like fifteen girls, fifteen dudes listening. So that's pretty cool. Like the the more you guys like, comment, subscribe, give feedback, the better I can gear it towards what you'd want to listen to. I don't want my whole thing with this podcast is I don't want people to have to watch something that they wouldn't enjoy. I wouldn't want you guys to listen to something you wouldn't enjoy. So mm-hmm. just give me feedback, and I'll. We'll make it out, make it better. So thank you. Thank you very much.